This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Sasha Hamdadi to the show. Dr. Sasha, or as you may know her, the Psych Doctor MD on TikTok, is a board-certified psychiatrist and ADHD specialist. And today, I have invited her here to discuss parenting with ADHD. Like, this parenting thing is hard. And as if it wasn't hard enough already, tack on a neurodivergent brain or some mental health challenges to the mix, and we've got a recipe for some unique struggles in parenthood. Dr. Sasha joins us today to help us understand some of the contradictory experiences of ADHD in parenting. Things like wanting quiet and the noise being too loud, but then also needing a level of stimulation so that we don't get bored. Or having a desire and a need for spontaneity and to have things changing and moving while also needing structure and routine. When I began to understand my neurodivergent brain, I began to change up routines and systems in my home to better support myself throughout the day, knowing that my brain is wired a little bit differently. If you're neurodivergent or have ADHD, or you struggle with your mental health and getting motivated and getting moving in parenthood, then this episode will speak to you. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Sasha. Do you ever feel like you just wanna hide in a dark, quiet closet? You are not alone. As a mom of three boys, I know what it's like to feel overstimulated, touched out, and easily triggered. As moms, we often don't get the chance to turn down the noise, walk away, or find a moment to regroup and recharge our batteries. But we don't have to live in constant overload. We can learn the skills to manage our own response to the noise, mess, and touch. We can stay calm and grounded so that we can be more present and connected without feeling like we're always in fight or flight mode. Dr. Reem, Psych Mommy, and I created a workshop to help you learn those skills, a workshop called Managing Overstimulation in Motherhood. You'll learn why you get so overstimulated, how to recognize your triggers, and the simple changes you can make in your environment that can help. We'll also teach you practical tips to keep calm and walk through your own personalized overstimulation plan so you can manage your reactions in and out of the moment. With lifetime access to the recording, you can watch at your own pace and revisit the workshop whenever you need. It's time to take charge of your senses instead of letting them take charge of you. Visit happyasamother.co slash overstimulation to register today for instant access. That's happyasamother.co slash overstimulation. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. 
It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Dr. Sasha, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. I reached out to you on Instagram, though. I discovered you on TikTok like many (laughs) moons ago, I feel like. Actually, probably during the time that TikTok sniffed me out and knew I was ADHD before I even knew I was ADHD. Isn't that wild? Right. And I came in contact with your content there. And I'm so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. Oh, I'm so honored. Thank you for having me. How does an MD psychiatrist end up educating on TikTok? I'd love to hear your story. Tell me about how that all (laughs) happened. I don't know, Erica, it's not a very good story. It's what happened to everybody else. Like, I think that I got more into it during the pandemic. There was nothing else to do besides be on your phone. I was actually introduced to the concept of like TikTok specifically, actually, because my patients, when they were coming to see me over telehealth, they would like hold up their phone to the camera and say, I think I have ADHD because of this video. And the Mm. video would be like, if you can sneeze, eight times in a row, you have ADHD. And it's like, (laughs) that's stupid. No, that's not it. And so I originally kind of started getting onto TikTok and creating videos to counteract some of that information. And then the longer I was on it, I was like, oh, okay, there actually is a lot of really good information on here. And then, yeah, the same thing that happens to everybody else. You just get kind of obsessed with it. And (laughs) here I am. (laughs) Well, there is a real amount of misinformation. I feel broadly speaking in the world right now. Yeah. Also in the mental health realm, and particularly it feels like around ADHD right now. I think there's just been like a real uptick in interest. Yeah. Whether it's because of TikTok or whatever, a lot of people talking about their own personal journeys that maybe aren't licensed professionals, maybe misrepresenting some things unintentionally, I'm sure. But I find that a lot even in the work that I do. So when like professionals invest their time to really educate from a licensed perspective. It's always so valuable and important, the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) I just love your content. I find it so relatable. And you are specialized in ADHD. And I am a mom with ADHD, raising a son with ADHD. And so many others that I hear from have neurodivergent children or are neurodivergent themselves, or maybe their partner is neurodivergent. So I feel like this intersection of ADHD and parenting is just a wild, wild ride. Oh my gosh. Yes. Do you see that with clients and in your practice as well? Um, I see that in myself. Right. (laughs) I have a two and a four-year-old. So I feel like I'm right in the thick of it. And so having ADHD and going through it definitely has been I don't know. It's just like your job is one thing, right? You try to attend to your job and ADHD and the unique challenges, but when you're responsible for the well-being of two tiny humans, possibly more than one tiny human enough, mm-hmm. it's like this whole new ball game. But yeah, with parents that I've seen and patients that I've seen, it's just this increase in acuity and sometimes like this, you know, a period of time where you have learned for the most part how to either mask or at least, you know, cope with your symptoms a little bit better. But kids just explode that (laughs) whole thing. You can't do it as effectively. Yeah. Well, you can control your environment in a different way. You can control your sleep. And now I had been on a business trip out to LA for like four or five days. 
first time I've ever left the kids for that long. And it was a whole thing and I missed them and, but it was a good trip. I come back and distinctly, I was like, there is so much noise in here. Like I cannot function with all of this noise. And just being away and coming back was like a big eye opener. And I don't know, there's just like little things that I don't think we realize ahead of parenting when we can control our environment so much more freely but I'm not going to like pick up my kids and put them out on the porch and close the door and say yeah. like, I need some time by myself. <laughs> That's right? enough. Yeah. So I think that there are some unique struggles to parents with ADHD or other, whether it's anxiety or auditory processing, mm-hmm. sensory things, like there are just some unique challenges that come with those that parenting just really can like grind on and grade on. Of course, of course. And I think it's amplified, especially in the time that we're in right now, like this post-pandemic world our world in general exploded, right? And for a small period of time, not only were we expected to like shift and perform the functions of our jobs remotely, but for a small period of time, we were also teachers and caretakers and babysitters because no one else was coming into our homes. Like it's changed the dynamics of how we function. And I think we're getting more back, hopefully we're getting more back into an equilibrium but things have changed. And I think if you started to recognize during that time, like my symptoms are for sure worse, you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious some of the things that maybe neurodivergent parents struggle with a little bit more than the average parent. I can think of sort of personal stories myself being in our tiny townhouse at the time with three young children. Lord, I have like traumatic memories just thinking about like how on top of each other we were. But like the noise would create such an irritability in me, but but it didn't phase yeah. my husband. And I was like, I always knew, and this is a part of the ADHD, you know, world is that like I was other in some ways than the people who were around me, but like in parenthood, it stood out more. So what are some of the unique pieces that parents struggle with as a result of ADHD? So if you're looking at unique challenges, and I mean, everybody's clinical course is different, but like big things that you see as overarching themes. Yeah. Difficulty with executive functioning. I think that that, and and what I mean by executive functioning is the functions required to get a goal completed. So difficulty in terms of initiating tasks, organizing tasks, doing all of that kind of functioning, it suddenly becomes exponentially worse when you're not having to just take care of yourself. You're taking care of all these other schedules and brains and lives. Right. The other thing that I have found, and this isn't part of the diagnostic criteria, but seeing ADHD enough, and especially having ADHD, you can absolutely relate to this, is the emotional component of it. There's such a strong component of this emotional dysregulation as you're trying to kind of meander through this course and get things done that you want to get done and like calm down that neural chaos that's happening. It's hard to deal with all of that and try to keep yourself balanced and level. So people have these huge anxious and irritable spikes, they get these, you know, secondary depressive lows that happen quickly. You could feel like your mood is shifting really rapidly. And so a lot of that discombobulation, I don't think we talk about enough. And I think that's a huge part of parenting because 
you're having all of this going on and you're also trying to model behavior of what your kids should do when they're dealing with frustration, when they're dealing with big feelings and you're like, okay, well, I can't keep myself together. (laughs) So how am I going to teach a little person how to do that? Mm -hmm. I think those are the two big, big areas where I feel like ADHD really impacts you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that my whole invisible load series was birthed out of this sort of executive functioning piece for me because I talk a lot about this like laundry mountain that was sort of the end of me one day. It was like five or six loads of laundry piling up. And, you know, my partner and I have divided out tasks where he will do the laundry because I forget it in the the washing machine and he's better at setting a timer and following through on tasks. Yeah. So it can sit there without needing a rewash and then I can get to folding it. But in passing by this every single day, I was so overwhelmed with this load of laundry to the point that I could not start it. And this like paralyzed feeling of it just being too much, one, speaks to, I think, that initiation of tasks in ADHD, but two, also helped me to really actually have this breakthrough moment of being able to identify the invisible labor of things in a different way. Because Mm -hmm. this particular time of year was a transition in seasonal clothing. We live in Toronto. We go from summer clothes to warm fall clothes. And so actually folding that laundry and putting it away meant when I put it away, I actually had to change over all the dressers to all the seasonal clothes, weed out what didn't fit the kids anymore, make a shopping list of actually what I did need to buy to replace the items that I got rid of. And before I knew it, this one seemingly mild task of folding clothes and putting it away in my mind was actually a massive mountain of invisible tasks, which mm-hmm. I think identifying them and you know being able to share them with my partner and speak them out loud really helps with the invisible piece. But that initiating of tasks and finding the motivation, especially when we're lacking capacity or we're in the pandemic or we're going through a depressive mood can be really, really difficult for some parents who are struggling. I think you're right. And I think that it is even worse when you don't really know what it is, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just like, why am I stuck on this? It's laundry. It's something small. And yet I am so paralyzed or I, you know, I've gone and I can't even walk past the laundry room or the laundry area anymore because it stresses me out. Like having a name and understanding like this is why, like neurobiologically, this is why it's difficult for me. I think it also takes away a lot of that shame and guilt because I mean, we have enough of that as a parent. Right. <laughs> we don't need more. It makes me think about the impact like our mental health has on our capacity. And and I've never really unpacked the concept of capacity on the podcast before, I don't think. But our capacity as parents ebbs and flows based on a number of different things. And I would Mm -hmm. for sure put mental health in one of those things that impacts our capacity. Hey. Yeah. 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 A million, million, million percent. And I would put it as high on that list. Like if there are days where I just, my brain is not cooperating with the rest of me, it's nothing is going to get done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it as like, So let's say I'm having a really great day, whether this is anxiety or depression or like, you know, mood or funk in the postpartum period that we can get into. But like I've had a really good night of sleep and things are going in my favor today and baby is not fussy and I'm feeling great. 
and I set a plan for myself tomorrow based on how I feel today, feeling so well. And then I have a really poor night's sleep. I wake up in the morning and I'm actually feeling particularly anxious and I have intrusive thoughts popping up all over the place. But I've set either a plan out for myself or expectations out for myself in a day when my capacity was great, but now is diminished. I don't think that we like pause and take a step out of the situation to see that from day to day, this capacity fluctuates and shifts in parenthood. Yeah. And I think that it's important to note that having one bad day or having a day where your capacity is maybe not not to the maximum potential that you could be because, and again, so multifaceted, right? It could depend on sleep. It could depend on exercise. It could depend on hydration and diet. Having one bad day doesn't necessarily indicate that that's your baseline functioning, right? For sure. You can, like there are days where you just have bad days and there are other days where you have great days. And it's just, I mean, like judgment-free zone, right? You just got to get from point A to point B, Mm -hmm. (laughs) do what you got to do. And I think the flexibility to be able to adjust to those days where the capacity might be less for whatever reason, lack of sleep or feeling down or anxious or whatever Mm -hmm. the reason, like in parenthood right now, my son is walking around Costco with my husband so I could have quiet time for interviews because he's been home (laughs) sick for two days and like Mm. we had to pivot and adjust all kinds of things. And so it adjusts day to day and having that like mental flexibility to be able to adjust our expectations of ourselves. I think that we really struggle when we have this expectation. We usually set before parenthood about how we're going to function in our role. We get into the role and we're not feeling great or something is happening and we won't budge on that expectation. We won't flex on it for ourselves, mm-hmm. lends to that shame and even more of that paralysis and like lack of motivation that we've been talking about. And I think that that's really common. Like before I had my daughter, so my daughter's four, I remember being pregnant and making a Pinterest board. And I was like, this is what kind of parent I'm going to be. Right. This is like, these are the clothes I'm going to wear. I'm going to be a cool mom. I'm going to be so involved. And I think a lot of that also is so dependent on like this person with like their own personality and stuff. Like I parent my son and my daughter differently because it's based on their like needs and who they are and how they present. And so that is all highly fluctuant. Like I had to recalibrate so significantly, not just because I was like, okay, (laughs) this looks nothing like my Pinterest board, but also (laughs) because like I needed to adjust for like, each of my kids are different. And that I was building an expectation when I had no way of knowing what it's going to look like. I think it's just such a moving target. Yeah. Making room for the person that they are. It's interesting how that load multiplies the more children that you have because you have to show up differently for each of them, Mm -hmm. which requires and pulls a different part out of you, right? For their different little temperaments. So I can see that. For sure. One of your videos I came across that I loved, like you were doing this contradictions of ADHD series, right? Mm -hmm. And there are some contradictions of ADHD in parenthood, which I'm like, it's so true. Are there any like that come up top of mind for even like your own experience in parenthood? You know, the biggest contradiction of parenthood for me is that I feel 
like there's so much of me that is still kind of a child in respects of like, not a child, but like that I have so much work to do as well. Like there are days where I'm forgetful. There are days where I still feel like I'm learning about myself and my brain, yet I have to help form that for another person, which is like, you know, that's an interesting spot to be in because it puts a pressure on you, which is like such a welcome blessing of a pressure, but it is a pressure nonetheless. You have to kind of figure yourself out so you can be present for your kid. Mm-hmm. So that's been a process. That's one of the biggest contradictions I've found. That's a really interesting one because like many of us and many of the audience with us can probably relate to learning how to regulate our own emotions while we're on the job of hiring to teach littles how to regulate their emotions. Like either we are impulsive and struggling with ADHD or they just haven't been modeled and taught to us about how to handle these emotions. And then here we are kind of like fake it till you make it trying to teach these things to our children. Right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the big ones for me that you pointed out in the video was like, there's a real need for like spontaneity and change in ADHD but yet you are like, can't function without routine and structure. That's a really big one for me because I'm one to feel like smothered and trapped if things start to feel mundane and the same. Mm -hmm. So when I was on maternity leave, particularly when it felt like Groundhog's Day, I really struggled with that because it was like nothing was new and exciting and I couldn't take a course and learn new things or I struggled to find a creative outlet until I finally found photography, which ultimately led me down this whole creator journey. But Mm -hmm. I lived right in that where like we needed structure and we didn't want to veer too far off of it because we want a baby to sleep and, you know, all of that. But at the same time, I longed for some fun and spontaneity and change as well. Yeah, maternity, no one really talks about that. Maternity leave was so hard and so boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, so thankless. But your little baby, for me, this probably makes me sound like a full on monster. But like, babies to me aren't super interesting. Like I love them. I think they're cute. But they're not smiling. They're not engaging. They just have endless needs. And they're so sweet. And you love seeing this growth and development that that's not as stimulating as a toddler, yeah. you know, where they're exploring and finding stuff and interacting with you. So I felt like in that beginning part of time, I'm like sleep deprived. I'm the fattest I've been in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I still have baby weight. So I don't feel great about myself in that regard. You know, I'm breastfeeding. So I'm tied to a pump or I'm doing something else. It's just like my whole life is about sustaining this life. And I'm grateful for that. But it's so boring. Yeah. It's so boring. So you're you're trying to do all this and it's hard. And, you know, I was on maternity leave when I started going on TikTok. When you started down that journey too. Yeah. <laughs> it was very understimulating for me. And I think that this is another contradiction for me personally is I find parenting very understimulating and incredibly overstimulating yeah. at the same time. So like understimulating when like, bless him. My little four-year-old is like, come play Paw Patrol with me, mommy. And I'm like having to try and like imaginary play. And like my brain is on all the other things because I have a really hard time staying engaged in that moment. But then overstimulating in the way that the three boys come in from school and they're like all over me and everyone's talking to me at the same time. And I just want to curl up in a ball and cover my ears. So it's such a weird 
it has to be just like the right level of stimulation, which <laughs> if I could just control like, things yeah. to be that way. Magic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. I think we're all looking for that, right? The right amount of stimulation because like, there's so much about trying to maintain order and routine and peace. And, you know, with with parenting, that also rolls into, you know, the 
potential of like co-parenting or raising your child with someone else, if that's the situation that you're in, where you're trying to maintain peace there as well. So really, in order to have the greatest likelihood of success, things are as boring as possible, right? You don't want any huge waves, but you know, you're not getting your stimulation that way. Mm -hmm. So it can be, you're right, it is totally understimulating at times and absolutely completely overwhelming and overstimulating on others. So for the parents who find various stages sort of boring, what might we suggest or recommend for them? Because I know for me, like, understimulation is a major issue, but then obviously overstimulation is as well. But are there some things that parents can do to help get through those boring moments? So let's talk about what those boring moments are. So those boring moments, generally, when you feel that understimulation, it's because inherently ADHD is a dopamine dysregulation problem. So you're in this suspended in this like low dopamine state. And it's not necessarily because you don't have enough dopamine. So if people try to tell you, I'm trying to make more dopamine or you don't have enough dopamine, that's not it. Mm. It's just that your dopamine is not being utilized at the right time or the right place. And so you feel like at that time, your dopamine is a little bit low. So things aren't firing or stimulating the way that they should be. So what I tell people is like, when you're in that time, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Alarm chemicals are going off telling you you need to stimulate things, but that might be the best thing for everybody in your house to keep things level. So then it's a question of what can I do for myself that's stimulating to make me feel that fulfillment and make me feel energized and interesting and keep my brain busy. And that's stuff that naturally inspires you. So for you, it sounds like you found a creative outlet. You found the photography, you found this podcast, you found an outlet that keeps you interested. For me, it's the same kind of thing. TikTok and social media has kind of, you know, gotten me to a spot where, you know, I was starting to write more, I was starting to create more content. And it's just finding that fine balance of like, what can I do to entertain myself so that I can also be present for my kids? Because I felt like if I was completely cutting that out, I had all this time, but I still wasn't present with my kids because I didn't feel like that time was really interesting or fulfilling. And I was having a hard time engaging in those moments. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I found something else to kind of entertain me, I really relished that time with them. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I haven't thought about it until right now where like as a mom in the early years on mat leave with ADHD, like I really struggled to be in the moment. And you can hear Mm -hmm. about like mindfulness and being present and not mind wandering. I'm like, I'm pretty sure my entire ADHD diagnosis is about me mind wandering. So like, you know, so like, I'm curious about, I don't know, maybe the relationship between like mindfulness and ADHD, because I'd love to talk about self-care. I know that you wrote a book on self-care for ADHD and a lot of self-care and a lot of even guided imagery and grounding tools that I do with my clients have a big mindfulness component. Yeah. But I feel like mindfulness is also my enemy at times. It's a hard, it's a weird thing. So yeah, I'm curious. So mindfulness is a weird concept and you're totally right. So for me, mindfulness is not so much like a destination and like what you should be doing as an end game. It's a practice. So it's something that you're slowly working on. And when you are in a spot of overstimulation or neural stimulation and things like that, where things are firing and maybe not super efficiently, but there's a lot going on in your brain. What I consider as mindfulness it's not necessarily quieting your brain because I, th- I, I think that's 
I mean, I've never had a quiet room. I know. Ever, I know. ever That's in my life. That's something that I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And I don't know what that looks like. But for me, mindfulness is like taking a step back and instead of immediately rushing to problem solve every random thought that comes into my brain, it's more this mindful practice of observing my thoughts, looking at my thoughts and not passing a judgment, not trying to figure out how to fix this problem. Just being like, oh, look at what I'm thinking about now. Look, And eventually what happens is that as you're mindful and instead of like mounting this alarm cascade in your brain to start to kind of fixing problems or doing things is that things start to slow down because you are reinforcing this feedback loop telling you like a thought is coming in and it's not raising alarm chemicals so we can calm down. And eventually what happens is that kind of syncs up and lines up as you're breathing, as you're monitoring, and then you start to calm down and intrinsically relax. So I think it's a good thing to start doing. And for me, like, I would never think about it when I was overstimulated because I'm like, "Mm, that's the last thing I want to do. I want to fix this problem right now. Right. But as I started to practice this a little bit more, like I try to do a little bit of mindfulness, like as I'm getting ready to go to bed, just because I feel like my mind is really busy then. And that's when I have all these ideas. I feel like it's a really helpful practice just a little bit before bed. And then as you do it more, you start to become better at it. Mm -hmm. And then you remember it more when you are overstimulated. You're like, oh, okay, maybe I should try this. Whereas if you're not familiar with it, it's not in your arsenal of things to pick from. Right. It's totally a muscle that you build and develop, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Totally. So would you say that, okay, like let's say that there is a parent who struggles to be in the moment with their child for whatever reason, ADHD, anxiety, stress from work, burnout, all the different things, right? Would it be sort of a similar approach of like trying to be in the moment with your child, noticing when you're sort of daydreaming, drifting off track, coming back into the moment and noticing what's happening in front of you? Would it be sort of a play on mindfulness or how would you approach that? I mean, I I think mindfulness is so, it's like so nonspecific. For me, it's just a way of becoming more grounded with my thoughts. So I I don't know. It looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think for a long time, I was trying to adhere to this like very strict, what I thought was mindfulness, which was quiet your brain, clear your mind. And I'm like, for years, I'm not even kidding. Like from the time I was cognizant of the fact that I had a busier brain, like that's what I was trying to do. And it wasn't until I was in psychiatry residency that I was like, okay, (laughs) That's not going to work. <laughs> let's, right. let's course correct and figure something else out. So I think everybody, their mindfulness practice looks a little bit different. And some people, they don't like the thinking component of it. Like for them, monitoring their thoughts is more like writing. So this journaling and being mindful via journaling. Some people, it's going through like images. So, I mean, it just looks different for mm-hmm. each person. It's just a way of neutrally monitoring your thoughts. Yeah. And getting more grounded. Totally. I think that often traditionally we go to this whole, like, we sit still for 30 minutes and quietly, like, meditate. And that's what mindfulness is. But I think that I agree. It's an observing of your thoughts and, like, a noticing without judgment, a curiosity. Mm -hmm. And as I do that more, particularly, like, when, like, let's use the example again of trying to be present with my children and want to try and enjoy a moment. But I've maybe masked all day or worked all day and been in interviews and my brain actually hasn't even had the chance to wander. 
it's very difficult sometimes, but I've noticed, okay, so I got to cut myself some slack in the evenings. Evenings are just not the time that I'm going to be the most present and like actively engaged. Maybe we do our mummy dates in the mornings on weekends or something. And it just has allowed like a non-judgmental curiosity to then be able to maybe solve a problem or have a discussion or, or figure out a way forward. I think it all stems from like, observing how your brain works. Mm. Because once you start to understand your own inherent patterns, you can start to problem solve. And the way that you problem solve might look different from everybody else's solution. Or like, this is what I want to do, or this is what mindfulness looks like, or this is how to break apart your day. Like, I, I feel like my schedule and my routine is just I don't know if anyone else does it like that. It's just, it's very curated. Right. It's what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you would share some of the tidbits from your book about how, if we have a neurodivergent brain to go about self-care, because like relaxation is a hard thing for me. It's a really difficult concept because my brain, even if my body wants to relax, my brain doesn't always. So Yes. When I saw your content, I found it so interesting because it's true. I think there is a hard time to self-care and, and relax a bit. So honestly, I'm with you. I don't <laughs> I don't think I've been relaxed one day in my entire life. It's not my jam. I think for me, the way that I interpreted self-care, I mean, and in its basis form, how to take care of yourself. And I think that the way that I have best been able to take care of myself is to understand how I work. Like, hmm. this is how my brain works. So the book, so it's it's broken into six chapters, which have little tiny mini chapters. And each mini chapter is literally like two paragraphs long. It's really short. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's just like a little usable hack or a little bit of usable information about either how your brain works or how you can modify based on your neurochemistry and how you operate and how a neurodivergent brain does operate differently, how you can utilize that to your advantage. So it talks about like, why is hydration important? Why is exercise important? And more importantly, like, what does exercise look like for you? Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be cardio. It doesn't have to be working the specific, like, you don't have to do a five day out of the week circuit. Like, what is your intended goal of exercise and how can you reach it in the most stimulating way possible that you can actually maintain it? Like, what should you be eating in relationships? How does your ADHD impact relationships? For me, I think what was really important in the self-care to talk about was like how to take care of myself within relationships. So like, how do I not give all myself in a relationship just to make a relationship work? How do I break free from being a people pleaser? Mm -hmm. So like little things like that. So I don't know if it's more like, I think people are actively shocked when I tell them I wrote (laughs) wrote a book about self-care and they're like, you do all of that terribly. But it's more like, This is how I take care of myself coming from an understanding of my brain, not like more of the prototypical, like, although getting massages is sweet, like that's definitely a great thing, but like, yeah. (laughs) Well, no, it's so interesting because I think that I heard self-care and you interpret that as like relaxation or time for self. And as a clinician, I know that it's so much more than that. And I think that some of the biggest self-care things that I do for myself are along the lines of what you're describing. It's like, I will set a timer for myself to do a task and then know that I can sit down once it's done. Or 
I will like make sure that the dishwasher runs each night so that we can function properly in the morning. Like little functional things. It is. But I actually like started to realize more in my adult life that like I actually was like not super functional at some of these life skill things that other adults were really functional at. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And so learning those little hacks, as you said, putting them in place so that I feel like I have some momentum and I feel like, you know, on Sundays, I fold laundry and put the kids clothes aside for the week so that we're not scrambling chaotically every morning and interpreting that as self-care because it actually makes my morning so much less stressful and sets me up for success, I think is a far more even important form of self-care. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Like I was thinking about like, after medical school, you do your psychiatry residency. I'm literally surrounded by psychiatrists and therapists (laughs) the Mm. whole time, which was like an experience that I really truly wish for everybody because it was awesome. But this is like some of the stuff that I learned and it's stuff that like, I don't know if people really talk about a broken, like one of them, one of the chapters, I just recorded the audio book and I was reading this and I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's nice to like hear it again after I wrote it, because I was like, I, it's nice to remind myself of why I do this. It was like making a uniform. Like there's some stuff that I consistently, like I have set stuff that I have maybe like three colors of like, cause I know that the shirt isn't weird. I'm always going to fit in the shirt. It's never going to irritate me like texturally or sensorily. I like the way it looks on me. It looks professional, but it's still really comfortable. Pants are the right length. Like I have different variations of the same thing so that I'm never going to be like wasting some of my mental energy. Like how do I get ready in the morning? There's so many options. I don't really know. This is like my base. I can always Mm -hmm. go to this. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice just having like little tiny mindless things that just make your life easier. I know that this is like my safe outfit. If I'm ever like stuck or I just go to this and it's going to look put together and, and it's just easy. Totally. Yeah. I love that. And there's so many, I'm sure like we'll link the books that people can go and click through and find it so that they can find the little ones that work for them. Yeah. And for me, an interesting piece of that is like, I'm convinced that reality TV is a form of self-care because every night by like 9, 9.30, I don't care come like hell or high water, I am turning on some episode of The Housewives somewhere and sitting for 45 minutes. And that is like my me time. And it's not like a traditional bubble bath, get a massage, like, you know, and my brain is preoccupied. Like it's a reality TV show, but it's actually just what I need to shut down at the end of the day and to like have a four stop time for work because as entrepreneurs, we work 24 seven and Yeah, I think that it's any of those little hacks that you can find that are just for you functionally that work well are so important. Yeah. Well, I'm almost wondering if we should put that in the diagnostic criteria because I got real into Love Island, the UK version. (laughs) And so I feel like there has to be something to it. This is one of those things. It's so funny. Yeah, it just fills your brain and it's kind of like mindless where I don't have to use a lot of my brain to get into it. It's not like Game of Thrones where I'm like, 
with a whiteboard trying to write down the characters. This is like, I get it. <laughs> right? I get it. It was in COVID, actually. I didn't know or wasn't a consumer of the Housewives franchise until COVID. And by the end of COVID, I was pretty much up to date on every city of every season. <laughs> it was a real hobby I took on. I was committed. Yeah. So. I appreciate your time so much today. Where can people find you to learn? Well, of course, on TikTok, but find your book and your resources to learn more from you. Yeah. So um, they can go to Instagram. They can go to TikTok. My handle is the psych doctor MD and their resources on that. If you go to my Instagram, it'll link to the book. It'll also link to the app that's coming out called Focus Genie, and that'll be out early next year just with like behavioral management. It's a comprehensive ADHD management app. It's exciting. Which I think is good. Yeah. It's real cute, Erica. So exciting. It's I'll be cute. downloading it. I'll be your first guy. I'll be in line. <laughs> like, please, I need some help today. Yeah. I mean, she's just the cutest app you've ever seen. So yeah, other than that, I mean, I'm around. Yeah. <laughs> we'll link all of that in the show notes too, although people can just easily find you on TikTok and uh make sure that they find their way to you. And I really appreciate you being here and taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Okay, but seriously though, Dr. Sasha is one of the first professionals I came across on TikTok when I was on my own ADHD journey. I finally realized and got diagnosed in the proper treatment for ADHD when I was 34. And I cannot tell you how much it has changed my life. Knowledge and understanding of our brain and our emotions, our feelings, and how we work is so empowering, and we can seek out the right strategies and skills we need when we better understand ourselves. If you feel like you are struggling, whether it's with being neurodivergent or anxiety or depression or even relationships and boundary setting, and you feel like you need some skills to empower you through this season of life, I encourage you to check out our wellness center. Our mom therapists are there seven days a week, ready to support you in adjusting on your motherhood journey. Head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where the shrink chicks, Emily and Jennifer, are joining us to talk about feeling let down by support postpartum. I don't know about you, but I definitely had expectations in my own mind about how people were going to show up and support in the postpartum period, and it's never quite what we expect. Emily and Jennifer are joining us to help us understand these expectations, unpack them, and move through these feelings. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know... Keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job.